And hello again, dear ones. Reverend Robert with you here on a Friday night. It's five o'clock on the Mountain Time Zone, and that means it is time for the good news. So grateful that you're with us here this evening. You know, this is that weekly opportunity to share the good news stories that made their way across my desk, and I believe will inspire you as we head into the weekend. Now, longtime viewers to this program know that we do a lot of stories around technology and uh, new energy, renewable energy, EV energy, all kinds of different things. And that's where we're kicking it off tonight. Uh, I want to share with you, this is an idea happening over in China. Now, I didn't know this. The Grand Canal in China is the world's longest and one of the oldest man-made waterways. And China's been undertaking steps to transform the entire length of it into more of a, uh, an asset rather than just an industrial infrastructure. And this project that we're looking at is one of the really cool ones. Uh, Dutch architecture firm R, uh, MVRDV has won a competition to turn an oil refinery factory park into what you're seeing on the screen here. It's going to be a cultural space to celebrate green energy, uh, translucent, multicolor, all kinds of fun stuff. It's an eight, uh, an 18, a 45 acre site, part of an oil refinery. The new design integrates renewable energy sources to serve as a prime example of the transform transition from fossil fuels to sustainable energy, all part of, of the global work towards getting rid of fossil fuels. Uh, the outer facade of the museum is perme uh, permeable and allows for air and the wind to blow through. Uh, really cool. Uh, now, it's also covered in an array of LED lights. Uh, so they can create pretty much any light color they want. Uh, the founding partner, Whiny Moss, said, as a planet, we know we need to move from uh, on from oil on a massive scale. But that raises the question, what should we do with all this infrastructure was the, that was created? It is somehow at the same time tempting to make a clean break with history and romantic to imagine a future where we build upon the ruins of the past. In this project, we do both. We incorporate the old industrial structures what with while new newly built elements, which are clearly distinguishable from the old, show us a better, more sustainable future. Congratulations, folks. Good work. I love it. Our next story tells us a little, even a deeper part of the story. This is an image map of a volcano. Uh, it's the Fontanellas volcano. It's off the coast of Portugal, and this could be the answer to to uh, to storage of massive amounts of CO2. So, what's happened is a new study concluded that the the extinct volcano could store anywhere between 1.2 to 8.6 gigatons of carbon dioxide. That's the equivalent of between 24 to 125 years of the country's industrial CO2 emissions. Now, you may say, why such a huge range? Well, here's what's happening, uh, going on. Down in the bowels of this volcano, you find calcium, magnesium, and iron. And what happens is if you pump carbon dioxide into that, it forms calcite, dolomite, and magnesite. 
and traps the CO2 in the rock forever. Now, these rocks in this volcano are especially appropriate because they're very porous and allow for an even greater amount of CO2 to be pumped down into the rocks. And here's where it all ties together, folks. It seems the oil companies have done a lot of work because the oil companies did a lot of research, which means they've already drilled a lot of holes into this extinct volcano looking for oil. That's how we happen to know what the composition of the rock is down there. Uh, and so half the work's already done. We can go in and just start pumping CO2. What a great idea. This is the good news that's reminding me that we really are all working together to create a more sustainable planet and a place for all of us to live. Now, most of our stories, folks, they come to us from the goodnewsnetwork.org. They do a great job of curating good news stories. I invite you to go over to their website, give them some of the love and attention that they deserve as well. Next up, another story from the Good News Network. Uh, what you're looking at here is an invention by researchers at the University of Cambridge. Now, they harness the power of photosynthesis to convert CO2, water, and sunlight into a multi-carbon fuels, both ethanol and propanol, in a single step. Oh, my gosh. A clean fuel made from the power of the sun. This could change everything. These fuels have a high energy density and can easily be stored or transported, according to the scientists who published their work in the journal Nature Energy. Shining light on the artificial leaves and getting liquid fuel from carbon dioxide and water is an amazing bit of chemistry, said Dr. Rahman, the study's first author. Uh, normally, when you try to convert CO2 into another chemical product, you'll almost always get carbon monoxide or syngas. Uh, but here, he said, we've been able to produce a practical liquid fuel just using the power of the sun. Woohoo! I love it, folks. What a great reminder. We, innovation and a new idea can give us anything. Uh, we just got to look at life differently. And this next story is definitely about looking at life diff differently. Uh, any parent out there that's ever used a disposable diaper knows that it's not really something you want to try to recycle. Uh, but we've been looking for sustainable solutions to uh, to rid the planet of these things for a long time. They make a mess of the landfills, and most of them do end up in landfills or are incinerated. Well, some inventive people in Indonesia are looking at disposable diapers as a way to replace sand in uh, con con uh, construction cement. So uh, it's a it's a touchy product process, let's say. Uh, but the publishers of the study, this was published in the journal Nature. Uh, currently, the essential step in the recycling process to use diapers is to separate the plastic components from the organic fibers. It necessitates the execution of many complicated procedures, including collecting, crushing, sanitizing, and sorting the components. Due to the difficulty involved in the process, very few businesses are currently interested in recycling used diapers. These, the samples uh, were cured for over 28 days. They were found to, uh, that they could uh, replace up to 10% of the sand needed for concrete that uh, is used to form columns, up to 20% of the sand needed 
to make concrete columns and beams in a single story house. If this could replace up to 40% of the sand needed for mortar in partition walls uh, and other uses. Not only would it uh, lessen the impact on our on the landfills, uh, it would be a very low cost compared to other recyclable materials. Definitely needs a little more study and a little more work. Uh, to borrow some words of, of uh, more than a few people, this would be a dirty job, though. So uh, we'll see. We'll follow this story for you and let you know if any, any more develops. We're going to take a quick break here, folks. Let a couple of our sponsors say hello. Learn a little bit more about what we're doing here about on New Thought Media Network. But please don't go away. Hit the like button. Hit the share button. Hit the subscribe button. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more good news. Here. Please help us say thank you to our organizational sponsors and donors, including the Hefferlin Foundation, Affiliated New Thought Network, International New Thought Alliance, Science of Mind Archives and Library Foundation, Center for Spiritual Living Denver. Center for Spiritual Living, Midtown Atlanta, New Thought, Philadelphia, Planned Happiness Institute, Summit Center for Spiritual Living, Center for Spiritual Living on the Lake, Unity Spiritual Center, Kitchener, Ohm Center for Spiritual Living, Center for Spiritual Living, North Jersey, Unity of Savannah, Center for Spiritual Living, Seattle, and all of our individual donors and sponsors. Thank you for being a part of the New Thought Media Network. Please come be you. back with more of the good news here on the new thought media network i'm rev robert it's friday night sharing the good news stories we've found from around the interwebs and please know that if you have a good news story you'd like to share with us 
Hey, send us an email. Good news at ntmedia.org. We'll take a look at it and take a, a gander at the, at the story. And if it uh, fits with that week's program, we'll make sure we include it. Please let us know uh, what good news you're seeing out in the world. All right, let's get back into it. Our next story, uh, this comes to us from Detroit. And uh, there's a school there, the Oakland Schools Technical Campus, Northeast. And a number of their students uh, built a house. Yup, they built a house, 1,368 square foot home. Now, normally this technical campus, students specialize in carpentry, electrical work, plumbing, and other things. Uh, their instructor, Aaron Sweet, uh, led this project and said that uh, he felt it was time they did something a little more substantial. Now, the students got to see the whole process of building this house as well as putting it on a truck, driving it across town, and putting it on a lot. Uh, the home costs about $100,000 in material. Uh, the students say that the home will go on the market at, for around $170,000. Uh, and uh, that's now that's nearly half the nationwide median listing price for a 1,300, 1,400-square-foot home. Uh, Pedro Rivera, one of the boys that helped to build this home, said just seeing it getting lifted and everything, it was kind of like, wow, this is our accomplishment. It's good to it's good, it's going to a good family, good home, good neighborhood. It's nice. <laughs> Congratulations, Pedro. Uh Pedro and his crew. Uh it's a slow process. They don't get a lot of these done, but everyone helps. Kudos to you guys out there in Detroit. Hey, let's jump over to L.A., uh, where the, the company Plenty has opened up their first indoor vertical farm, and it's right in the heart of Compton. The facility is capable of growing 4.5 million pounds of leafy green vegetables every year. Uh, their CEO said Plenty is an indoor growing company, so we can grow plants inside without the sun in controlled environments. We're producing leafy greens, and we also produce tomatoes. In the future, we'll be producing strawberries and other fruit and produce. Plenty also said that the Compton location is the West Coast's only commercial-scale vertical farm and one of the most advanced in the world. Uh, meaning that robots do a lot of the work inside. When you get vertical, it's hard to get your workers up there to water things and all that. So they, uh, other robots uh, are moving, uh, carting about trays of lettuce, kale, spinach, and other leafy greens. Compton Mayor Emma Sharif said, we are very committed to making sure that the people that they, they hired actually came from the city, came from this community, and this is what they've done. They've kept the community and to the city and 30% of the people that are hired come from this community. They intend to sell their products through Whole Foods, Walmart, and Bristol Farms as well. Good work out there. You know, folks, we talked about vertical farming on this program a couple years back when it was an idea and in the test phases. Now here it is at a commercial scale, 4.5 million pounds that's going to go a long, long way to help alleviating the food deserts that are in L.A. Good job, folks. Hey, here's a cool story out of the U.K. A study that was done between 2007 and 2020. It's taken them a little while to get the information out. Uh, 
found that the best way to help butterfly populations rebound is to plant a garden. That's all it takes. We are increasingly finding that gardens are crucial for biodiversity conservation, and these and these findings certainly support that. That's Dr. Kate Blummer, the BTO senior researcher and ecologist and lead author of the paper. Uh, it's extremely encouraging to see that gardens are contributing to the population growth of some of the nation's widespread butterfly species. Now, butterflies are not necessarily as efficient as bees, but butterflies are important pollinators in both gardens and the countryside, and plants that butterflies regularly visit have probably co-evolved in its own reproductive strategies. All this from the study. Congratulations for the good stuff here, too. I love it. Butterflies are making a rebound, and it's, it's helping everybody involved. Here's another great story. And I love this one. Look at these guys. Aren't they cute? That is a litter of five red wolf pups. They were recently born in the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge in North Carolina. All my North Carolina folks, did you know you had red wolves? I don't know if you did or not. I didn't know there were red wolves in North Carolina. All this information is courtesy of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They announced the good news on their Facebook page on back on May 16th. Uh, there are two females and, uh, sorry, three females and two males. They're uh, this same couple. Uh, they, they number the wolves out there. So mother number 2225 and father number 2323. Uh, had a litter last year, and they had five litter, uh, five pups last year as well. So, uh, last year's pups, the yearlings, will help raise the new pups as the parents help raise the yearlings. What a cool story! A uh, red wolf population was was declared extinct in the wild in 1980. In 1960, sorry, in 1980, in 2016, the Red Wolf Recovery Program uh, made it a priority to increase the size of the red wolf population under human care. Uh, and in 2018, the first red wolf litter born in the wild was born in the wild again. We have done it and we have supported the red wolves. Uh, they're having litters in the wild again. Good stuff, huh? Hey, we're going to take one more break, folks, get a little bit uh, more information and a little more, more sponsors uh, hello in here. But we're going to be right back in just another moment or two with our final segment and our Hero of the Week Award. Stay tuned here on New Thought Media Network. This is the good news. We'll be.
Thought Media Network is on the rise. We're looking to grow with you. Do you have technical media experience or perhaps a desire to learn? Are you willing to volunteer your precious time and attention? We share this message to benefit all. If you possess a computer with a camera and a microphone, we will share our knowledge with you. Behind the scenes or being the star, let us bless our one. Contact us at info at ntmedia.org. with more of the good news here on the New Thought Media Network. I'm Rev. Robert. Thanks for being with us. I want to remind everybody, we do get a number of our stories also over at sunnyskies.com, another great resource for wonderfully inspiring and positive news. We invite you to check that out. Give them some love and attention when you can as well. And our next story up did come from that website, Sunny Skies. What you're going to look, see here, folks, in just a sec, there it is, is a, a diamond engagement ring that's been, well, it's been running, it's been hanging out in a sewage treatment plant for 13 years. Yep. Here's how the whole story unfolds. Uh, Mary Strand and her husband David had been married for 33 years when David presented this ring to Mary as an anniversary gift. Uh, unfortunately, real, rather, we don't know, nobody ever knows, but uh, somehow the ring ended up getting lost down the toilet at their home. Now, Dave ran a drain and sewage company, so he grabbed his equipment and camera. Uh, scoured the 200 feet of drain pipe to see if he could spot the ring, but no luck. Uh, Mary actually said, I was thinking he'll never buy me another ring. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. I felt really bad because it was a gift. Well, recently, a mechanical maintenance manager at the Ro at Rogers Metropolitan Council's nine wastewater treatment plants, John Tierney, was shoveling debris from one of the equip pieces of equipment when he saw something sparkly. John, John being a great guy, uh, put information out on Twitter and said that they had literally hundreds of people who had lost wedding rings calling in, trying to identify. Uh, but they got a photo of the ring from Mary. Mary sent in a photo. Uh, they had a, a jeweler look at the photo. And after professional examination, they determined this was Mary's ring. And asked her to come uh, to come claim it. Claim it. Here's where the story gets really funny. This waste treatment plant where it was found was only about a thousand yards, or excuse me, a thousand feet from Mary's home. So it had been there for 13 years, right there in the neighborhood. Um, and the water treatment plant is on Diamond Lake Road. I promise you, folks, we couldn't make this stuff up if, if we tried. What a great story. I love these things. Uh, and Mary's got her ring back. Hey, speaking about getting things back, this is Gert Jan Oskama, uh, Oskam, excuse me. Uh, Gert was injured, had a spinal cord injury in 2011 from a cycling accident and lost use of his legs. Swiss researchers... Uh, restored 
his mobility using a digital bridge between his brain and spinal cord. Uh, they inserted two, uh, two, uh, excuse me, I lost that word there, uh, two sensors within his brain and another receiver on his spinal cord. What happens is uh, neurosurgeon Joycelyn Block uh, cut the holes and, uh, and into the regions of his brain that control movement, put in these implants, they wirelessly transmit brain signals to the two sensors attached to the helmet on his head and somehow the bridge makes his legs his brain communicate with his legs. Seeing him walk, uh, seeing him walk so naturally was so moving," said the professor. "It, it is a paradigm shift, is what is available here." Uh, both researchers said that uh, he received the, the implant ten years after his accident. Imagine what can happen when we get to somebody within a few weeks or even a few days. Of, be, of a spinal cord injury. Uh, the huge potential for those uh, that deal with spinal cord injuries across the planet. Good work, researchers. I can't wait to see this hit the mass, the general and the mass market. We'll keep you informed of that as well. Hey, folks, every week we do our Hero of the Week award, and this is no different. Let's get into it. Here's our Hero of the Week. All right. We actually have two heroes this week, as is the case. Uh, we want to introduce you to Joe Hollis. Now, Joe Hollis was a homeless man living in a homeless camp uh, in Arizona when he was awoken to Claudia Jimenez opening a window and screaming, help. Turns out Jimenez and her family were trapped in their apartment and couldn't get out the door. She opened up the back window and started yelling for help. Uh, Joe ran over and said, I'll catch him. Help. Uh, drop, let him, you know, drop your kids. I'll help. And uh, she did. She dropped her eight, uh, first let her one-year-old daughter jump. Then her eight-year-old daughter jumped. Hollis caught both children, no problem. They uh, brought down a couple of dogs as well. Before Claudia herself decided she would jump as well. And Joe was able to catch her and break her fall. Everyone is alive. Everyone is safe. And it is all thanks to Joe Hollis. Uh, now, a GoFundMe was set up by the local community to help the Jimenez family get back on their feet. Everything in the apartment was a total loss. No word here if anybody's doing anything to help Joe Hollis. Uh, however, we're going to trust and assume that that is happening. Congratulations, Joe. You're one of our two heroes of the week. Our second hero of the week is a man named Daryl. That's Daryl in the middle here. Uh, what happened is uh, the young man on the left, he was on his way to his high school, high school graduation. That's Harvey Shelton. Uh, he was on his way to his graduation when he was involved in an accident on the highway. A, uh, an 18-wheeler had become stranded. A car in front of uh, Harvey swerved out of the way at the last second, and Harvey had no idea what was about to happen. He hit the back end of the, the rig and was trapped. He's pinned underneath the car, and uh, he said, I, he, I was scared, couldn't breathe, and was holding my hand out the window asking for help. Out of nowhere, a voice said, I got you, and we'll wait with you till help arrives. 
held his hand and kept, kept him calm throughout the entire incident. That's who Daryl is. Uh, at first, Daryl left the scene and uh, the, uh, the uh, family reached out through Twitter asking if anybody knew who this was and asking him to come forward. Uh, the school did throw a special uh, uh, graduation ceremony for Harvey and Daryl was able to attend that ceremony. Uh, what a great news story, folks. It's that kind of stuff. It's just being able to say, I have, I care, I have compassion, uh, and reach out and hold somebody's hand. Sometimes that's all it takes. Hey, we're going to get out of here for now, but please tune back in at six o'clock. Pa Reverend Pastor Michael Mangus will be with us with the fireside chat. That starts at 6 a.m. I'm Rev. Robert. I'm going to get out of here. Until then, I want to wish you peace and richest blessings. Thanks for watching. Bye now. Watch me change when you change the way you look at things.